0: Hey, good day, everybody. Joe here. want to welcome you to October and uh, also want to do a brief introduction before we jump into the latest episode of Shut Up and Listen. It's been a few months since we featured one, and it's not because our friend Jim Gray hasn't been busy. He certainly has. We've got a few other interviews queued up that Jim's been working on for us. Uh, But we're excited to share this one in particular Because uh, we're getting into a medium, an artistic medium, that we really haven't spent much time on in the past three years. And that is in motion pictures. Jim caught up with actor, screenwriter, and director David Leo Schultz. If you're not familiar with his name, you may be familiar with his uh, most recent movie, Ragamuffin, which told the story of Rich Mullins. And that was a pretty critically well-received movie, one that I saw myself and enjoyed. I'm a bit cynical. I thought I wouldn't enjoy it, but I actually did. So if you're listening, Jim or David, forgive me for being cynical. In this episode, Jim's talking with David about his latest effort, a project to create a full-length feature movie about author and vagabond evangelist Brennan Manning. In their conversation, we get some great insight, uh, not only into the film business and the different aspects of the film business, but also what it means to be a Christian functioning Uh, in the film industry today, something that certainly is certainly not the easiest medium to be working in as a Christian artist. So thanks, Jim, for the interview. Guys, I think you're really going to enjoy it. I'll get out of the way. And, hey, shut up and listen. Hey, shut up and listen. The Shut Up and Listen Podcast, hosted by Jim Gray. Raw, unedited phone interviews Talking about music, movies, culture, business, and random stuff And now, enough of me, let's hear from Jim Gray
1: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Shut Up and Listen podcast And my uh, guest today is David Leo Schultz David, tell us what you do
2: uh well i have been fortunate enough to make a few films so um i guess i'm a filmmaker but i <clears throat> i like to call myself a wannabe filmmaker because um i am very much still learning <laughs> what is
1: that what is, a wan- is there a difference between a in your mind between like a wannabe filmmaker and a real filmmaker
2: sure i'm well i mean i think a little bit is i'm just hard on myself but i um you know um my last movie ragamuffin was the first full-length feature film uh narrative feature film to direct so um i, I tell people it was just like going to film school you know so um it's uh <clears throat> i think most people who have had the opportunity to make a film there's still a million ways you kind of look at the final product and go oh man they these mistakes were made and this and that and i just wish it could be better Mm -hmm. and so you know uh i don't know if i'll ever get to the place till i can shake somebody's hand and go i'm a filmmaker (laughs) just because there's just so many really uh good ones out there um that that i go man i i don't know that i'll ever get to that point where um i'm that good at this craft except the whole reason i got in specifically I decided to direct ragamuffin in this next movie about brennan is uh i just super passionate about the stories so um i guess that's what i'm doing right now but i've done lots of different things but right now i'm making movies
1: let's um so let's let's kind of um let's kind of get into a little bit of your history yeah. um wh- tell me about you know you know what did it look like um was there college where'd you go to college or did did you go to college and what's the journey been like so far i
2: went to uh college at anderson university in anderson indiana um about 26 miles northeast of uh indianapolis and um i actually uh started out majoring in theater and um um i i ended up Kind of moving it to a minor, and I majored in Christian Ministries there. Um, I most of my life I've been a I call myself a premature <laughs> evangelist, mainly because I've um, you know from the time I was 13 or 14 I was um, you know doing comedy and uh, comedy sketches and churches, but and then afterwards I'd preach you know as like a 13, 14 year old, but we didn't call it ministry. Um, you know, but you look back at that time, and you're like, man, no, 13, 14 year old should be preaching. <laughs> um, but it's just something I kind of kept um, kept doing. But I didn't call it ministry, and I, I don't even know that I called it preaching, except just. And I just love. I've always had this heart to just tell people that Jesus loves them. And um, I kind of got to college, and I I, I, I love acting and and I uh, love theater, and but I just kind of got to this place of going, man, I just. Really impassionate about um, telling people about Christ, um, and I think that I can learn a craft later. Um, why not use this time to really kind of um, gain more um, understanding of the scriptures and and uh, be trained by godly uh, men and women? And so um, that was kind of the thinking. Although sometimes I've regretted that decision because it. It's kind of taken me a, a long time to, um, you know, learn some of the ins and outs of about all of the industry, and so um, I go, man, if I, you know, hunkered down, I could have really learned it all, and you know, not that you learn it all in four years, you know, but um, but I don't regret it. I, I I love that experience I had at Anderson University, and i mainly the the relationships that I had there um um you know I, st- I still have in my life and i I treasure them and will forever you
1: know mm. so talk about let's talk about how um how did you get started like what was your first I mean other than theater in college what was your was there you know I know you've done a bunch of comedy let's talk about comedy for a little sure. bit
2: um <clears throat> well yeah I mean I, I I grew up uh you know um, I had a transfer divorce when I was really young. And so my mom had, you know, had me when she was really young. And so she, you know, she, you know, did the best that she could. And so, but she was so young that, uh, I think she was a little bit overwhelmed. And so, um, <laughs> uh, to, you know, no f- faults of her own. She just kind of plopped me in front of the TV and, uh, you know, uh, threw on a bunch of stuff that, that, you know, she was into at the time, which was, um, You know, uh, the old Saturday Night Live guys is what, you know, was on when she was in a teenager. So I think that there's some really good inspiration. Yeah, you know, so like I I think I remember watching Blues Brothers when I was really young. And um, that's the first introduction to Saturday Night Live I ever had. I I watched Blues Brothers and then I, um, I, I actually watched the 70s guys before I ever watched, you know, the 90s guys. Uh, let alone the 80s. And so I kind of just went through it. And, um, you know, went to the video store and kind of watched through the best of of whatever I could get my hands on. And um, so I watched all the, you know, the Dan Aykroyds and the Belushi and Chevy Chase before I ever, you know, discovered what it was when I, at the time I started watching, you know, which, you know, when I started getting into it, it was 1990, so, you know, Farley was on and Sandler and all those guys were, relevant at that time but um um yeah so I just grew up loving comedy and um you know when I was a kid I I you know dress up like um you know Chris Farley's character Matt Foley on Saturday Night Live and that he you know uh, uh created with Bob Odenkirk in Second City Chicago and so I Uh, You know, I just loved it. And, uh, you know, we would lock my grandma in her bedroom and me and my cousins would uh, take over the living room and film comedy (laughs) sketches. And uh, and then, um, you know, God did a significant thing in my heart uh, when I was a teenager at a a church camp. And so, you know, my my parents weren't Christians. And um, so I I had nobody really to guide me. And, um, you know, so uh, but I just was on fire and uh, uh, it. I've always, and I think God just gave me that evangelistic heart that I still have. It's like a fire that never goes out. Whether I'm living uh, uh, in response to his love or not, the fire's always there. And so that's why I go, man, that's just him. It's him who's put that in me. And so um, as a kid, I was like, man, what can I do for Jesus? And we we would, uh, that's what I the, the whole premature evangelist thing, you know, came from as we, you know, started doing these comedy skits at churches. I was, I remember the first time I I got on stage at church and I was 13 years old and there was, know went to a mid-sized church, I think four or 500 people and wrote this sketch and I remember them dying laughing. I hope at the comedy, not me, but looking back, who knows? And uh, anyway, I remember going, oh, I like this. So, um, I've always had a fascination with SNL, but, you know, through junior high and high school and college, I never was going to ever pursue it professionally because I have this evangelistic heart. And, um, and then I kind of shipwrecked my life around, right, right outside of college and, um, I wasn't going to do ministry anymore and really was struggling in my faith in general. Um, and uh, God kind of got a hold of me through Rich Mullins and Brendan Manning and, and those type of things again, because I was familiar with them already, but um, kind of in this time where I was like, I don't think I'm going to do ministry of any source, especially vocational ministry, uh, I went up to California and kind of, you know, still had this bug. Um, even though when I was in the kind of the, the heat of passion of preaching, I remember turning to friends of going, never let me on SNL. Like, this is what I want to do is just preach Jesus. Um and so I've always kind of wrestled with that, you know, um, of how of having this duality, and not in a hypocritical sense, but just in a. I think I've always been wired with this wanting to preach Jesus, but also really um, loving acting as an art and in uh, and movies, and and uh, I mean I love it. Um, and um, you know, so so when I went out to to, to California, I just. I started making projects uh, just out of the angst of being a struggling actor. I got to uh, in terms of comedy. I I was always more into sketch uh, um, sketch comedy and improv. So I started at the Groundland School of Comedy, in, you know their theater and training center out in L.A. Uh, you know where um, you know Lorraine Newman from the early seventies got her start with SNL. Uh, Phil Hartman, Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry, Kristen Wiig all those that gang kind of came from there. So that was really my comedy theater training home for the last 10 years. And, um, um, and out of there, you know, I had great opportunities. I, uh, worked with Pam Thomas, Dave Thomas's, um, uh, wife at the time. And, and, you know, she got me, um, some great opportunities. I made it to the final round of auditions for Mad TV and, Kind of did uh, meet and greet stuff with um, some of the SNL folks, and um, you know, got kind of far in that process. And unfortunately, I uh, nothing really came of that. But uh, you know, so kind of when you know I you know tested for shows, all those type of things, and it's just hard. It's a hard racket. It's a hard industry to break into. And so um, I kind of got together with some friends that I had met uh, doing movies with, um, just as an actor. And, you know, we went, man, let's just try to make our own way. So we made a few comedies and, um, and, you know, had some cool experiences, you know, working with Chevy Chase and, uh, Fred Willard and Burt Reynolds and, uh, Michael Madsen and some others. And, you know, it was just little kind of breadcrumbs along the way that kind of kept me going, um, comedically. And, um, you know those projects didn't really turn out how i wanted and i was super bummed and um um this friend i had made along the journey um you know uh he was like you know i don't give up on trying to make movies but next time you make a movie you know why don't you try to just do it because i through my other experiences Mm -hmm. i i didn't really know what i was doing and so i just kind of gave the movies away uh both on a creative level and um on a practical level, and he was like, just at least make one more um, of you trying to carry out your vision, and, and that next one was Ragamuffin, so, um, and I never saw myself making, you know, uh, movies in that kind of sphere, um, you know, I always believed in just being a missional Christian, um, never the need to uh, make a, you know, we've talked about this before, but I don't, I don't believe in the whole idea of a Christian movie because products can't be Christian. They can't, you know, be baptized or confess of their sins or follow Jesus. Their products can't be Christian. But, um, but anyway, that being said, I just, you know, I wouldn't have become a Christian if God didn't use, apart from a few, you know, my grandma.
1: So let me, uh, let me, yeah, so let me inject kind of a question, Dave, that I, it's a kind of a good topic right now is that you brought up is that, you know, while somebody can't, they, so do you think maybe more, it's like the art, the art is the inspiration that God uses or what do you, how do you think? I mean, I mean, I know that we can't like see it, how it works, Mm. but what are your thought process between behind art, inspiring? Like, do you think God uses our art to inspire others and is part of the, you know, like in the Bible, it says that, you know, some have uh, planted and some have watered and, And some of that type of stuff with the seed I mean do you think seeds are planted through your work Or what is that Obviously you and I both have heard stories through Ragamuffin about people's lives That have been touched
2: Well I I think a couple things I think man is created in God's image And I think God's an artist And so um, Like whether I like it or not Or should I say whether my kid likes it or not She looks like me You know poor kid Mm. (laughs) So um, I think you know (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, I think that the same thing for us, I think, you know, we, we're created in the image of God and we're his, uh, we bear his image. And so whether we like it or not, um, we are also artists. And I think that we're, God created us to be worshipers of him. And, and when we worship him, we, we reflect his glory, um, like a mirror, like, the, and that being said, it's that whether you're an accountant or you're a painter, or you're a sculptor, or you're a janitor. Uh, I, you know, we're cre- we're creators in that sense. We're, we're there's artistry. Like my dad's a chef, and um, for him though, it's not just you know slapping you know some mustard on a sandwich. Like it's a real art to him. You know, and the same thing with a gardener. You know, like my my grandma um, would have never called herself an artist, but she loved to to plant flowers and really create beauty in that. I think the same thing goes for a janitor. It's like there's there's something about uh you know really taking pride in your job and like trying to what are you trying to do? You're you're mopping the floor, you're you're trying to make something beautiful. Um I I, I just think that it doesn't it's not so much about vocation, but I think that we're ingra- ingrained to create. And so I think we kind of can't help it. But I think that <clears throat> I think that the whole thing for me of like God I think the real danger is this, is that I was a big thing of like, God doesn't freaking need a movie because I can't stand that whole idea. Um, um, even though I'm kind of in it, I still can't stand that idea of like, um, you know, uh, whether you be a musician or, a, or a, a filmmaker or there's just this tendency I think, and I think it's because we all struggle with pride, we get on our high horse and we go, man, God really needs us. And it's just not true. I it, it, the, the fact that <clears throat> by God's grace, he's used Ragamuffin to um, and I'm not trying to be prideful, but I do think that God has probably changed thousands of lives through that movie just because just because the evidence is there, like we get emails all the time, right? We've met people all across the country. But the problem, the problem is, is if I, David Schultz, start to go, man, I did that. I look at what I did. Hmm. Um, I just, it's just going like, man, I, 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 but I, uh, you know, I have a friend that has a, a phrase I I steal all the time and um, he worked at a church is when he came up with it and I use it all the time and he's like I, really what's happening here is it's God's work and it's our witness and I think the fun part of being a Christian and, and doing kingdom work is this I get to just be a part of the fun of what's happening but if the minute like for example um, about 10 year go, years ago I was speaking at this church camp and like I said, I have this fire that I think that has been put in me from Christ, right? And I when I preach, I, I you know it's like the whole chariot's a fire thing. like when I run, I feel his pleasure, right. Um, and so I think for me, like when I preach, I feel his, his I feel that his pleasure. I, I, nothing really feels greater than, than seeing God use you to change lives. Um, but that being said, this kid comes up to me afterwards and he says, man, you really touched my buttons. He was like this 16-year-old uh, kid, you know, that was like too cool for school, but, you know, he, his eyes were swelling with tears. And I assume what he was saying is God really touched his heart. And I said, you know what, I, I didn't touch your buttons, though. I was like, because I don't have that ability to change your heart. I was like, I, I think that that's only the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's what I think is going no, on here. That's a point, man. You yeah. know what I mean? That's-
1: Dave, I, I think you're, David, I think you're, um, I think you're right on with that. And, um, that's a really good, I think this is a really good segue too to talk about, um, your next project yeah. with Brennan Manning and, um, it, well, you know, what's funny is that, you know, we're all sort of, no matter how involved we are, whether we're a, a spectator or we're a podcaster or we're, a you know, uh, independent filmmaker, whatever. I think everybody, you know, is inspired by the entertainment industry, whether it's mu- music or movies or sure. or TV or, or whatever that is. Um, but I, I guess the first thing I want to know is, is like, you know, you're going to, you guys are going to be starting production this fall on the Brennan Manning movie. Yeah. Tell me about what is your... What is your day, like, Like, let's say the first week of shooting, what does your typical day look like for you in that role?
2: Yeah, well, you know, we have uh, smaller budgets. And so, um, you know, kind of the, the whole thing with us is that if we were a bigger movie, uh, you know, we'd all have like one hat. And because we're a smaller exactly. movie, we all have several hats. And so, you know, um, you know, probably that day will include a variety of things of, of, picking up craft services (laughs) um and uh you know uh, maybe picking up a crew member and driving an hour or so to set and you know making sure kind of the team you know day one is kind of ready to go Uh, the crew's called we all get there i meet with the director of photography as soon as it gets to set and kind of go over my shot list for the day and um and we kind of get the first scene going. And so um, when the rest of his crew shows up, uh, they're already starting to pre-light the scene and kind of have an idea of it. Actors get there. They go through um, you know, uh, costumes and hair and makeup. And, um, and they sign in with the production department. And then, they, uh, then once they're ready, uh, as soon as they're ready, we try to uh, do a rehearsal and for camera and so to see if anything changes for them and um and then as soon as um you know the lighting's all set and ready according for the dp and the gaffer uh you know we get the actors miked up and then we uh we start shooting so and then what
1: does um let's talk about go ahead keep going keep going i got another question in my buffer no here. and then
2: we you know keep go- do that uh that's the start of every day and you know Days can yep. go anywhere from eight to eighteen hours, <laughs> so it just depends on the day. Wow. I mean, usually it's a minimum of twelve hours, and on indie movies, it's like uh, Jennifer Jennifer Lawrence. I loved her speech, you know, a couple years ago when she, I think, it won a Golden Globe for Silver Linings, and she's like, you know, gotta love those indie movies, you know, going over uh, six, seven hours when you're supposed to end, and but that's it, you know. It's like uh, making an indie movie is like going to war you know in the sense of um it, it, it's tough it's really really tough but it's like i mean it's a blast it's it's awesome you know it's like going to camp you know in, in some ways and and it's kind of going to hell and back too but you you develop a real bond with some of the <laughs> the people that you do with and it and it's it's worth it you know if you love it if you don't love it it would be like torture so
1: yep Let's talk about, um, the pre-production part. Um, you know, there's a, probably a lot of people that listen that, um, you know, they hear term buzzwords like screenwriting mm-hmm. and movie production and things like that. Let's talk about pre-production and planning. Sure. Um, with the Brennan Manning project, you know, what's the inspiration there behind the story? Let's start there and then talk. And then I want you to talk about what does it look like to create a screen, um, you know, the screenplay and the screenwriting piece.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, <clears throat> well, um, but with Brennan, you know, he wrote the book "The Ragamuffin Gospel," and so um, that book, for a lot of people, is is really life changing. If you're listening to this, or if, you know, if you haven't read it, you know, um, get off your ass and read that because it'll it'll change your life. Uh, really will, you know. And if you're you know hyper fundamentalist or legalistic, and you heard that. You didn't like the fact that I said ass, then you probably actually will be one that won't like the book either, because the whole idea behind the book is scandalous grace. It's you know, it's there is no such thing as as a good Christian. You know, in light of the the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, you know, the reality of God's love is that God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because you'll never be as you should be. And so a ragamuffin is just a beggar at the the doorstep of god's grace and so um and ragamuffin knows he's broken and knows that he falls short and he's just grateful you know and, and this is i think that the hang up that people have with brendan manning or just kind of this camp as they go oh well you know all that lovey-dovey god you know loves you stuff just gives people a license to sin and the reality is if you read Brennan's writings. He was more hardcore about obedience and following Jesus than just about anything you could read out there. But the key difference was, is, hey, this has to be a response to God's grace. Um, it does you no good if you're trying to earn it. it. does you no good if you're trying to earn it, because you can not earn it, you know. And I don't think it's life's going to work out for you if you're trying to earn it, because you're building a righteousness that doesn't even exist, and then self-righteousness. And so, you know, his writings had a big impact on me, and, um, you know, and as I've learned about his life, and, you know, even through his memoir and through other things, as I've learned about, you know, the the gross stuff too, the the, the struggles he had. It's like when I went through the Ragamuffin experience, there's nothing I, I learned about Rich Mullins or Brennan Manning that ever made me go, oh, man, well, forget these guys now. And, you know, even when we were doing screenings of Ragamuffin, people would go, well, man, when you found out that they, like, did stuff, did it, like, make you upset or mad or turn you off or this or that? And I'm like, no, because Jesus is my Savior, Rich and Brennan aren't. You know? Hmm. And it's like, and what? You know, was I shocked to find out that what? That they're a sinner? No. You know why? Because I've read Romans, And we're all sinners. And it's a really toxic idea that and behavior that we all do in this Christian culture, and that's to worship each other. It's like, so, you know, when people have moral failures and this and that, it's like they go, man, shame on them. And it's like, why? They're sick. That's what sin is. Because we put them on it. Effectively, we... We have put them on a yeah, pedestal. I mean they're unhealthy. They have a disease, and the reality is, if you if, you know you really study Paul and you know his writings in the New Testament, the whole idea is there. It's like yes, spiritually, what has happened is we've died with Christ and we're risen again and we're born again and we have a new life. But the problem is, is the flesh is still there, right? And he goes a great lengths to explain to us that to not find our identity in the flesh that's still there even when we do sin right? and so when we find out yeah we put these people on the pedestal like you're saying Jim and then when they fall we just get so offend- I, I, and you know the greatest response that I heard with you know Billy Graham's grandson or whatever that just had that thing in the news um, it's the greatest response I saw to that was a pastor friend of mine post he's like I just wish I could give this guy a hug It's like, man, that's the response. I think, see, the whole idea of the the, the ragamuffin thing is we go, could have been me. (laughs) And it can be. You know what I mean? Like, we all just are are broken folks who need Jesus at the end of the day, right? And if you're truly aware of your own depravity, um, you'll know that there's, whether you've had a specific moral failure like that or not, or you cheated on your taxes— you know that there's no difference between that guy and you. you, you both are just sinners saved by grace and in need of Christ, you know? Well,
1: you know, it's, um, Dave, we, Dave, we can, um, we could hide all that stuff on Facebook and mask it over with beautiful pictures of our family. Yeah, yeah. And here's me in the coffee shop with my friends yeah. talking about, you know, or nancing in the garden or whatever it is. And it, but it's like, what I lots a lot of times what I appreciate is people that go, Hey guys, can you pray for me? I just, you know, something's going on or, you know, um, and so I think we've, we've even with, with our media, we've created the kind of like this culture that we can sort of mask ourselves with photography and, you know, qu- uh, cute little wise phrases and in our Instagrams and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And
2: yeah. And,
1: um, so I think you're right on with that. Um, tell me about, tell me about the, the I know you you can't tell me like you know here's the spoil you know any spoilers but what what's the inspiration behind the story of the film and then what is how did you get to writing the screenplay and what are some steps involved Yeah there? yeah um, um
2: sorry I'm so ADD forgive me um <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> we both
2: are. <laughs> Yeah, you get me talking about... That's
1: why we're on this podcast together, bro. That's why we're on this podcast. <laughs> so we each can go shut My up and listen. Frequency FM. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why I got to tell everybody. It's like, hey, shut up and listen, Dave. Yeah,
2: yeah feel free to tell uh, me to shut up anytime. Yeah, so screenwriting. Yeah, I don't want to give away any spoilers. So that's why we're pretty much advertising it as, you know, the man behind the ragamuffin gospel. I mean, what I can tell you is that, yes. you know, it's not a... Bio picture like it was with Rich trying to tell his whole story. Um, it's kind of more in line with like what Spielberg did with Lincoln of just like a certain section of of his life, and so um, hmm. that's what we're doing with that. And then in terms of screenwriting, I mean the the story behind that is, you know, I was going to do this movie. I mean, I got the rights to this five years ago because I got it right after um, from Brennan's family right after I got the, the rights to do, um, Rich's story. And, uh, you know, but my focus was completely on the Rich Mullins movie, Ragamuffin. And so when that ended, I kind of rolled up my sleeves and I was like, okay, um, I'm going to get started on this. And, you know, for one reason or the other, the ideas that I had, um, you know, Weren't working And then so I kind of shelved it And I was like man I don't know what to do I don't know if I'm going to do it And then um, And then you know Then Brennan died And uh, What was really strange is You know I had met him four or five different times Throughout you know His life And um, But when he died man I I, I remember weeping um, And which just was a little strange, a little odd. And I was like, why am I this affected by a guy who, you know, uh, I barely knew? And um, and that was it. It was that God just really did, um, I think, spiritually save my life through this guy. It was, again, it's the same thing of, like, ragamuffing ha- having, you know, the movie having an impact on people's lives. It was, it wasn't Brennan... It was God through Brennan, but that was the vehicle that God did use to to really get a hold of me over and over again. And rich, and so, um, and yeah, I mean, I can't tell you too much without giving it away. Um, maybe we right. can do another podcast after. But but what I can tell you is that I yeah. wrote a draft and I loved it, and then a couple of weeks went by, and then I hated it. And I threw I threw it completely away. I spent a couple months on that draft, and I just completely tossed it out the window. Um, and it, it's hard. It's hard because you you there's certain scenes in that draft that I just still love, and they'll never come to fruition, and it's a bummer. But it is what it is. And then, um, you know, um, and I I figured out the story um, eventually, and I can't tell you how yet, or it'll give it away. Um, but I am. And honestly, it just – not to over-spiritualize it, but I do feel like it was a God thing. I feel like um, it's – it just came out of the journey of this whole process Um, Mm -hmm. and was really honest. Tell me about – Dave, how how long is the – so
1: just from more of a technical Mm -hmm. standpoint – you know, again, we're talking to a lot of different people out here that are listening to this podcast from the from the production side. How long did it take you from end to end with finishing the script?
2: Okay. Um, well, I had a lot of breaks in between. I mean, I think that, like, geez, I don't that is such a good question because I've. Do you mean like this last draft, or do you mean like the from the start of the?
1: Yeah, I mean like the like the whole like the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I guess from the time you started with the, with all the drafts and everything, I mean, has it been a two years or a year? Or yeah, year a year and a
2: half, I'd say. Well, well, I would say not quite a year. Not quite a year. I think the last September is when I wrote the first draft. And then, um, and then I kind of shelved it. And then in January or February, I started writing another draft um i would say that once i like have the story and kind of have the outline it probably takes me about a month um i think everybody's different though i think that you know i often write in my head and so i'll i'll figure out basically what i want to do with the story character arcs different ideas but i'm a real nerd with it and i really don't suggest this I mean all the screenwriting books I've ever read are like don't do it like this but nevertheless
1: oh no Dave that's that's why you're here that's (laughs) why I really want you to tell me
2: well (laughs) I like I said I love movies and why do I love movies well I love like that feeling of like getting popcorn and getting your coke and you know sitting in the movie theater and like watching a movie and not knowing what comes next right and I love it when a movie surprises me. And so what, I guess what I'm trying to say is that when I map everything out, it, and I know what every scene's going to look like, and I always know what's going to happen next, and then I go to write, maybe it's just because I'm lazy, but it feels like writing is like going to the dentist. So, the, but what I, what I find with myself is I definitely have to map certain things out, know where I'm headed, this and that, the, the main story beats of this screenplay, but I like to leave it open enough to not really know where it's headed, otherwise I won't enjoy it. And if, I'm, if you're not enjoying it, if you're not carbonated, so to speak, as you write, it's probably going to suck. And so, um, that's one thing And then another thing that I do is Is I'll, I'll get to a place where like Okay, I'm kind of stuck here Man, I'll close my computer or Close my notes, I'm still a paper and pen guy In a lot of ways um, And then I'll like take a drive Or I'll go sit by the ocean Or I'll, you know, go camping or something And then I'll usually just write The next scene in my head Um, I'll write it until my head until I like it And then I'll go and write that and see how far that gets me. And then when I get stuck again, I do the same thing. I close my computer, go for a walk, and try to write the next scene. Um, Versus, like, just sitting there and randomly spewing out dialogue and forcing it out. Like, I go, that's why I just write it in my head. At least the next scene. Yeah.
1: Are you a writer? I mean, do you do, um, I know that I've heard a lot of, different um producers and kind of showrunners talk about you know they write some sort of long form or short form every day to kind of like keep developing their craft do you think that that's (laughs) that's a good tool or or is that what does that look like for you
3: I I, i think that's a beautiful tool my problem is i just like i'm too ADD, and so like i have you know so i'm just not that disciplined like that but the like the way i am disciplined in that way is I'll write a movie that I know that I'll probably never make if I've got nothing going on. Um, and that's like, so, you know, there's people out there like that. Like Bill Murray says that he, he says he writes for two hours every day. Right. And I don't mm-hmm. doubt it. I mean, that's why you stayed so sharp over the years is one of the things I think, but you know, I just, if I went with a blank canvas, um, you know, I, I just don't know that I could do that. Uh, maybe I could, I mean, like, I'm not a big blogger, right? But I do blog, but it's usually when I'm just so, I just can't keep it in anymore. Mm. So I think the writing that comes out of me is I can't keep it in anymore or I can't get a story out of my head. But the closest I've come to doing what you're talking about is I'll, um, I do believe in that discipline, but I just can't do the Blake Canvas thing. So what I'll do is I'll think of a, it could be anything like a stupid action comedy or something. And I'll just write it. And I know I'm not going to probably make it or even be able to sell it. Um but I'll but I've got to have something to, to to wake up in the morning to like the reason to keep writing. Um so that's the closest I've come to like discipline writing to write when I know it's not going to, you know, turn, you know, develop into anything. But I do agree so, with that. If if you can yeah. do that, do that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so we know what not to do. <laughs> if anything today, there's what Dave does. There's what you're supposed to do. There's what Dave does. And then there maybe yeah. there's one other one. And, um, yeah. and I'm, I'm podcasting. That's why I'm not doing any of those, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, cause I think there's a lot of power in story having a, you know, somebody yeah. like yourself, that's doing something different that a lot of people want to do. Um, what that's, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, um, before the recording started about, you know if there's somebody that's listening and they're, you know, I think there's probably two out of every three people or five people or something probably want to be a filmmaker or, or do something like that. And what advice do you have for somebody that wants to be an indie filmmaker? Is it run away right now or or what?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think that, um, you know, it's funny. I was, I was, thinking the other day I'm like I used to make fun of people that wanted to go to you know college for 7 years to become a doctor I mean I used to go like that is like your whole life <laughs> why would you want to use so much of your life and I go man now I'm like 12 years in and I'm like I should have been a doctor it's never too late Dave. it's never
1: too late i think there's only one course you could take
3: yeah i mean i think i think that my advice would you know let me tell you a story about uh, my wife and this would be my advice my wife is somebody who um you know for a, a long time many years wanted to do something in psychology and you know before we got married, you know, when we were dating, when we were engaged, she would talk about it. Our first year of marriage, she would talk about it. And, um, you know, she just would never pursue it because she couldn't decide. And eventually I turned to her and I was like, look, we're going to get the loans and you're going to enroll in psychology. And she's like, yeah, but I don't know. And then we'll have this debt and this and that. I'm like, look, the debt is worth it if you take the risk to find out if this is what you want to do or not. And she did it. And at the end of it, she went, Oh man, I don't want to do this anymore. But what was great about that is she knew if she, if she didn't take the risk to try, she would never know. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but for three years she wondered, well, she could have maybe found out that first year, you know, done a, some type of class or enrolled in something and found out really quick. And so, you know, the the question is is I think my biggest advice to people that you know, the three or four people that are listening that like are inspired to do it is one, start making stuff right now. You know, I think that the real danger that I see so many people in this industry fall into is that they don't so much want to be an artist, they want to be famous. Well, you can become a desperate housewife and become famous or you can start a YouTube channel and become famous, right? Like find out if you really want to be an artist and if you want to really want to be an artist, it takes work, you know, so like start shooting stuff every weekend with your buddies. If you want to be a filmmaker, if you want to be a writer, start writing nonstop, whatever your process is. If you know, especially I run into it with actors. It's like, if you want to be an actor, great. Don't be prideful. Start training now you know, because what one method works for one actor doesn't work for the next. And maybe for some people it's miser, maybe some people it's method for, you know, some, some people it's, you know, they want to do improv comedy or some people they want to, you gotta, you gotta really work and jump in to figure out if this is for you or not. Now, hopefully, you know, uh, you know, for the person out there that's listening that, you know, they, they're a Christian, you know, my biggest advice would be like, yeah, pursue stuff, but just know that none of this crap matters. Hmm. It really doesn't. That's just a fantastic, fantastic wisdom, man. In. It just doesn't matter. I mean, that, that's my biggest hang up on, honestly, my biggest hang up with Christians in this industry and not just the Christian filmmakers. I mean, just the Christians that are just, you know, on like, a, you know, doing a sitcom or something, because there is a ton of Christians out here doing stuff, despite what you, you hear. And, but my hang up with a lot of them is this, they just, they just, we just get caught up with ourselves as if like, as if we're so important. And it's like, I go, man, I think for, and I'm talking to myself too, man, let's go back to the scriptures here. And what did Jesus say? Luke 9, If you really want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's like, like what st. Augustine says right like love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and then go out and do whatever you want so you're free you're free to be a filmmaker or a janitor or a doctor or a dentist you're free to do that and you know what God created man and gave man work right so work really hard at it you know but you're but at the end of the day what will kill your soul is this thinking it matters just doesn't excuse my language here but it doesn't effing matter
2: the only thing that
3: matters at the end of the day is jesus period right so love jesus because if you love jesus you could end up like paul in prison right snake bitten shipwrecked um stoned and you'll have a smile on your face and you'll be like man isn't jesus great and why would you be like that If your identity is in Him. But if your identity is trying to be like a filmmaker, the next Tom Cruise, or the next doctor with all the awards on his wall, or whatever career path you want to go to, you're going to be the most hollow, empty, and unhappy person on the planet, and you're not going to get why. And the reason will be, like in Revelation when Jesus is talking through John about the churches, it's because you have forgotten your first love. Your first love is Jesus. And he's all that matters. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And if you forget that and you think it's a career, you're screwed, honestly. So if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. If you're one of these actors or filmmakers or whatever career pursuits you're having and you're pursuing it so hard and so fast and so furious, but you're so miserable and you can't figure out why, well, it's probably because you chose a career over God. And so I say, it's better to be homeless and penniless and and be one of these outcasts that people spit on as they walk by you into a restaurant than have all of what they have and be, com- and be completely lost because you cared about building up your own versus giving it all away and following Christ. So, sorry to get on my little...
1: No, Dave, that know. is... And that's a great place for us to wrap up, too, and...
3: I really appreciate well, more than, more the, than you know, know. I really, really appreciate,
1: appreciate you sharing your heart.
3: Well, and and look, the reason I'm so passionate there at the end is this. I struggle with all of those things. Yeah. And it's like the Ragamuffin, the movie, Brennan the movie, whether I'm on Saturday night live or whether I get a TV show, none of that matters. All that matters is Jesus. And You know, I just don't want to see people go down that same path and, you know, potentially wreck their lives um, like I almost have.
1: Well, my hope is with this podcast, the whole goal here is to tell these raw stories. And then, and it's true, my goal is, I mean, it's a joke, the whole shut up and listen thing, but it's true. I really want people to stop where they are and to listen and to soak this in and to find some practical application because, um. You know, how else are they going to get there without this? So listen, Dave, we're out of time. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, dude, for uh, taking the time to sit in with me today.
0: You've been listening to the Shut Up and Listen podcast featuring Jim Gray. Shut Up and Listen is a production of Frequency.fm and 330pm.com. For more cool stuff, check us out at www.frequency.fm Thanks for listening. Stay cool.